Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, will you follow me to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10, our text will be verses 14 through 21, Romans chapter 10. And the Bible says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Israel, or Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. Again, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity we have to be in your house We thank you, Lord, that you have made yourself known to us in the person of your Son, and that you have given to us the revelation of yourself in the book that we call the Bible. And Father, we ask that as we engage in your word today, in your revealed truth, that you will give us ears to hear, that we may be able to understand and comprehend the the truth. For those who may be among us that may be lost, that you would save them, For those of us who are saved, that you will challenge us and convict us and and cause us to want to be more obedient to you. And as always, Lord, we ask that you would use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the immediate context for our text of Scripture today really begins in verse 13. If you remember last week, as Paul was writing about uh, this idea of confessing the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what it means for a person to come to faith in Jesus Christ, how do we appropriate that redemptive uh, activity of Christ into our lives, he gives us this blanket statement in verse 13, quoting from the Old Testament, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And so what Paul is going to do for us today is going to help us understand this process of calling on the Lord. What does it look like? What does he mean when he says someone is going to call on the Lord? So in the first part of our section in verses 14 through 17, he's going to help us understand what it looks like for us to call on the Lord. And then he's going to turn his attention, as it were, to Israel's rejection and to confirm for us what he's already been telling us, that Israel's rejection is no fault of God. It is their own fault that they are rejecting because the truth has been given. It's not that they haven't heard the truth. It's not that God has not revealed himself. It is that they have willfully chosen to reject the truth that God has revealed uh, to them. And so today we're going to unpack this passage of scripture really by, I think it's about three headings. First, we'll see the necessity of gospel preaching. And then we're going to see the reality of gospel preaching, and then we'll see the Israelites rejecting of that gospel uh, preaching. So we begin with this idea of the necessity of gospel preaching, and we, and we go back to verses 14 and 15 in our text. And in this section of scripture, in these two verses, Paul outlines for us five aspects of the process of calling on the name of the Lord, five aspects of this process of salvation or redemption that comes to those who call upon the Lord. And he, he goes from the end to the beginning. Uh, when we unpack it, we'll unpack it from the beginning to the end. But just look with me again at the text, and you can see Paul does this by asking several rhetorical Questions Again, in light of verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, leads him to ask this question in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So in this question is inherent the idea that believing has to precede the calling on the Lord. And so how is it that they can get to this place of believing so that they can call? Then he goes on, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Now we'll see Paul summarize that again for us in verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by or through the word of Christ. So there has to be a hearing in order for them to believe and then in order for them to call. And then he goes on with the next question, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So you have to have preaching of the gospel of Christ Jesus so that people can hear that gospel, then they can believe that gospel, and then they can call on the name of the Lord. And then the next question in verse 15, how are they going to preach unless they are sent? So in those verses, you have those five elements of the process of one coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things uh, the Puritans would call the uh, uh, primary and ordinary means of grace, uh, this idea of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this sense, the word that the ESV translators chose to use, and most other translations, use the word preach. 
Now, one of the things that we have to guard against is putting our own understanding on what that word means, okay? Because the, if, if you're like me, when you hear the word preach, the first thing you think about is like the fat guy that's behind the podium today. He is preaching. He is a preacher proclaiming the word of the Lord. Well, not all preachers are fat like me, but what I'm saying is we, we kind of pigeonhole our idea and understanding of what preaching means. That's one aspect of it, and we'll unpack that as we go through, but it is ultimately heralding God's word. And so that's one of the primary ordinary means of grace, how people come to faith in Christ is proclaiming of the word of God. But it could also be in other aspects, right? You can have a one-on-one conversation with someone and share the gospel with them, and that's a part of the means of grace. Uh, You could write a letter. You could use a song, right? Uh, all, All types of ways that God can use Uh, or means God uses to have the gospel proclaimed to point people to the person, Jesus Christ. But Paul has outlined for us uh, these five aspects of what happens in a person's life when they come to faith. And again, these things may happen in just a few moments of a span of time. Or it may be over several years that these things happen in a person's life. In my life, it happened over a span of several years, and it all culminated in one uh, event later on in my life that brought me to this place where all five of these things came together, and I called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But the first thing that has to happen in order for a person to come to faith in Christ is there has to be someone sent. In, in, in our text today, the word that is behind this idea of sending someone is uh, apostello, which has to do with the, where we get the English word apostle. And so when we think about sending an apostle, you know, again, we may pigeonhole ourselves if we think only in the apostolic aspect of like the apostle Paul, who was sent by God. He was called and, and chosen to be an apostle for a particular ministry. And so we, we, may, we may pigeonhole ourselves or narrow our focus on the idea of sending. I would say to you, there's one, that's one aspect of sending. One aspect of being sent is in an official capacity in that God calls a person, whether in the New Testament era there were apostles, or as we learn later on in Ephesians chapter 4, that there are preachers and teachers and evangelists. These people are called into the ministry, as we would say today. They are ordained, they are licensed, they are officially sent out by God through the church for a, in a, an official capacity. A missionary is another aspect of this sending. That's an official aspect of one being sent out. But there is also a general aspect of people being sent in God's word, right? It's not just an official capacity. When you think about the official capacity, and we'll talk about that again when we get to the preaching aspect, when you think about the official capacity, there are particular, uh, particular responsibilities, there are particular uh, requirements that must be met for someone to be called out and sent in that capacity. But what you and I need to understand that the Bible tells us that every believer has been sent, does it not? Well, all we have to do is look at Matthew chapter 28, right? And then verses 18 through um, 20 in the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And what does he tell us next? Go, 
therefore, and make disciples. And part of that making disciples is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing them into the fellowship of the church through baptism and then teaching them, discipling them in the things, uh, in, the, in the commandments of the Lord. So in that sense, every Christian has been sent by God. Every Christian is a messenger of God. So God has been sending throughout the centuries people to proclaim the truth of redemption. Ultimately, that would come through Jesus Christ. He used the prophets to do that, didn't he? We'll find out uh, in God's word, we'll find out in a few moments that it, 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 Paul uses Old Testament scripture to validate the fact that God has sent out people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's in the business today of sending out people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have been sent out in that sense to be a messenger of Jesus Christ to herald the truth of the gospel. So don't, don't limit that to, hey, that's just for the, 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 the paid staff. That's all they do, right? They're the ones who are sent out. No, all of us have been sent out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but one has to be sent. And then secondly, one has to proclaim and not just proclaim anything. They got to proclaim, as we will learn in a moment, they have to proclaim the words about Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the proclamation that God has called us to share with this world. And so the word that is used for preaching is caruso. And I always think about Robin Caruso whenever I read, read that word in the Greek. But this is about heralding, okay? Now, there is, again, an official capacity in our vernacular, we call it a preacher, right? In, in the New Testament, it's more uh, that word generally in Ephesians chapter four, it has to do with the idea of, of shepherding and teaching, um, or it's an elder in other places, an elder, a bishop, an overseer uh, in that official capacity. Um, but again, there's a general idea of preaching or proclaiming, okay? If you don't want to attach that to yourself, that I'm a preacher, well, then just say that you, you are a messenger of God called to proclaim the truth of God. And doesn't God tell us that? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, didn't he say that? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, well, if you're a believer in Christ, guess what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. If the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon you, then you're not a believer in Christ. Paul's already told us that in Romans, right? Either we have the Spirit and we're children of God, or we don't have the Spirit and we're not children of God. So if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, and when the Spirit of God comes upon you, the Lord, uh, uh, Luke told us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that we will, be, we will receive power and we shall be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Every believer has within them the Holy Spirit of God that is empowering them to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to what God has done in them in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what, isn't that what Peter called us to do in 1 Peter? You remember, I think it's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Peter tells us in that passage that we are to esteem or, or raise up God in our hearts. And in so doing, we are to be ready always ready to give a reason or an apologetic, a reason for the hope that lies within us. That's what a proclaimer of the gospel does, right? Shares a reason for the hope that's in you. What is the reason? Well, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done in you. So God is sending us to proclaim the truth to the world. 
And that has to happen in order for people to become saved. It's like those who say uh, um, about Francis uh, uh, Assisi, at least it was credited to him, preached the gospel at all times and if, and if necessary, use words. Well, let me tell you something. That's a bunch of, bunch of hogwash. You know why? Because if you're going to proclaim the gospel, you must use words. There's no other way around proclaiming the gospel. You can't live out the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did, not what you are doing. The gospel is what he did. And in order for us to proclaim it, we must use our words to proclaim the gospel. Why do I know that? Why? Because the next thing that has to happen after we are sent and after we are called to proclaim it, the next thing that has to happen in the person who is going to receive it is they must hear it. Well, they don't hear your actions. They hear your words. We must use our words to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the next aspect. We're sent. We are called to proclaim this message so that people can hear the message. Akuo, they are to hear those words of the gospel. And we'll see in just a moment. There's more than just hearing the words, okay? There's a level of hearing that has to transpire in a person's life for them to come to faith in Christ. But this aspect of hearing is very important. We, we've seen it on Sunday nights. We're in, we're in Revelation on Facebook Live. I do, I do a study in Revelation on Facebook Live every, every Sunday night, which we'll be in tonight, uh, chapter 9, Lord willing, uh, as we go through there. But when we are in the, the letters to the churches, chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, if you remember at the end of every one of those letters, there was a promise to the one who overcomes, the Lord would give, and he would list out several aspects of that promise that he would give to each one of those uh, people. And then there was always this refrain, and it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's an important aspect of this idea of hearing what God has to say. And it's not, again, merely just hearing the words. It's going to raise to a level of understanding, which leads to a commitment that is made in light of this hearing. So it's very important for people to understand this fact. They must hear the gospel to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6 in verse 45. And just the context for that, just a brief context for just a moment. This is the passage where Jesus says to uh, those religious leaders of that day that were uh, there, hey, no one can come to the Father or come to me unless the Father draws him. Okay? And then there's a quote from the Old Testament that is used. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6 and verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And that's a very important passage, right? What does Jesus say? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. How is the Father drawing them? He is drawing them by proclaiming to them the truth of Christ. They are hearing it. They are learning this truth. And those who do hear and in fact learn this truth, ultimately we're going to find out in a moment, means submit to this truth. Those are the ones who come to Christ. And there's another passage in John chapter 10 
And this, again, is the passage where we all know about uh, uh, the Lord telling us that we are uh, in his hand, right? No one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. But I'm going to read from verses 25 through 27 in John chapter 10. And just prior to uh, where I'm about to read, the the religious leaders uh, challenged Jesus. They, they, they confronted him and says, hey, point blank. When are you going, and this is my paraphrase, when are you going to stop messing around and when are you going to tell us whether or not you are really the Christ? And of course, Jesus says to them, hey, you've seen all the works that I've done. You've seen all the miracles that I've done. So it's not that you don't know. It's that you refuse to believe is the implication. And then he makes this statement to them in verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. All right, Romans chapter 9. My sheep, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice. What was their problem? They weren't hearing. They want his sheep. Those who are his sheep hear his voice. They hear from God. They learn the truth of it. And they respond to the truth of it. And those sheep, he says, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Someone has to be sent. That one who is sent must proclaim the gospel of Christ Jesus and the gospel has to be heard by those who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then the fourth element is believing. And really this raises the level for us on our idea of hearing. It's not just hearing the message. It's hearing the message in a way that transforms our heart and persuades us of the truth of it. Now that's that's not the job of the person proclaiming. That's the job of the Holy Spirit who is drawing to persuade a person of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that persuasion, that person comes to believe. Pistuo is the word that is used in the Greek for this idea of believing. And it has to do with think it to be true. Isn't that what John's already told us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you remember that word that's used, confess, is to speak the same thing, Right? It is to say the same thing about Jesus, in essence, that God, the Father, has said about Jesus, that he is, in fact, the second person of the Trinity. He is, in fact, God in the flesh who came and died on the cross for our sin, was buried, and rose again the third day. Confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Isn't that what Paul's already told us? That's the same thing he's telling us here. This one, when they are sent, they proclaim the gospel. People hear it. The Holy Spirit draws them, persuades them, and they cast their faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen to John 3, 18. John says in 3, 18, it's really Jesus speaking. Whoever believes, same family of words. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Pretty simple, right? But whoever does not believe is condemned already 
Why? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. One has to come to the place where they are persuaded by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that truth, they place their faith in the person of the gospel of Jesus Christ who is our Lord and Savior. Listen to John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Again, over and over again, the Bible reminds us of this. Our hearing this gospel has to come to a point where we believe that truth and we accept it as truth and we place our faith in the one that this truth is talking about. If we do not do that, listen to how John or Jesus John goes on in, in John chapter 3 and verse 36. Whoever does not, and it depends on your translation here, whoever does not obey or whoever does not believe uh, the son shall not see life. The word behind obey in the ESV is really the, the idea of persuaded again. The one who is not persuaded of the truth of Jesus Christ shall not see life. We must get to the place where we believe the gospel as truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did go to a cross, that he was our substitute, that he did die, and that he was raised again on the third day. And then once believing, the final aspect of salvation takes place, the calling upon the name of the Lord. And really it's in the middle voice, which means we are calling unto him for ourselves. All right, we, we are laying ourselves at his mercy. We're laying ourselves on his grace. We're calling to him to reap the benefit of his mercy and his grace, which are afforded to us in the person, Jesus Christ. And again, for us, that is, that is both a volitional, willful thing for us to do. It involves our mind, our will, and our emotion. It involves the total person. And so we must, we must call upon the name of the Lord if we're going to be saved. And Paul has told us that anyone, and the implication really is whether you are Jew or Gentile, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul is saying this because the point he is driving at in this text is there's not a problem with God that's causing these Israelites not to call on his name. That's where we're going to end up in chapter 10. There's not a problem with God. It's not a fact that he hasn't sent someone. It's not a fact that he hasn't proclaimed the gospel to them. It's not a fact that it ha they haven't heard the truth. The reality is that they're rejecting the truth that has been proclaimed to them. And there are many in our world today, maybe even one or two of you in this room today, the gospel's been proclaimed and you've rejected it. It's not that you haven't heard it. You've just rejected it. And there are countless thousands, millions of people around this world today who have heard it and rejected it. And woe be unto them because their end will be destruction unless they come to the place where they have heard, they have believed, and they've called on the name of the Lord. And again, these things can happen in an instantaneous moment, right? 
when the preacher is preaching and the spirit is working and God calls you in that moment and you believe and you call upon his name, right? But sometimes that's over a period of time when you constantly hear and you constantly hear and then God finally breaks through with the person of the Holy Spirit and calls you to faith in Jesus Christ and you believe and you call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what God's asking. That's what God is demanding of all of us, right? Listen, Acts chapter three and verse 19. Repent, therefore, depends on your translation again. It may say turn back or it may say be converted. They really have the same idea. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That's really what God is calling us to do, right? Commanding us to do, to repent and believe. Every one of us, he's called us to do that. So, you know, the question that's before you today, have you heard the gospel and have you received the gospel? Have you believed the gospel? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Now, here's the second point. This is, you might want to put the adjective sad. This is the sad reality of gospel preaching. The sad reality is not everyone believes. No matter what you do, no matter how loud you proclaim, no matter how, no matter how consistently you, complain, you, you proclaim, not everyone is going to believe the gospel message. And that's the sad reality of truth, right? But that should not hinder us from the proclamation of the word. Listen to what Paul says, verse 16 and 17, the reality of this gospel preaching. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. That's the ESV translation of that. And there's a play on words that takes place here because really it's a very similar word that is used for here uh, earlier in verse 14 and 15. And in this passage, uh, it is a word that has a preposition added to the front of the word for here. And it has to do with this idea of being obedient to. I think that's why John uses the, the language he uses in chapter 3 and verse 36. The gospel is always a command to obedience. We, we, we are called by God to, uh, he gives us the imperative to believe the gospel. It's not his request. It's not his begging us. It's not him on his knee, knees pleading with us. It is God's command to all of humanity. Repent and believe. And those who do not obey the gospel in that way will find themselves under the hand of the judgment of God. But, he says in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. So this hearing that transpires is more, again, than just hearing the words. It has to raise to this level of an Old Testament counterpart <coughs> that usually is translated in the English would be hearken. And it has to do with the idea of hearing with the intent to obey. That's where we've got to get with the gospel. We hear with the intent of believing and obeying the truth of it and, and appropriating that truth to our life by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We understand it and we submit 
to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and submitting to him. That's why Paul writes the way he writes in chapter 10 and verse 9 when he says, confess with your mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. He could have said just Jesus. He could have said just Christ. But he said the Lord Jesus, because the Bible teaches us this aspect of lordship salvation. This is the essence. This is the fundamental essence of what salvation is all about. Is it about it's about our bowing our knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's about our forfeiting our will. Casting our will aside and submitting to the will of God in Christ Jesus. He is Lord. And if you have a view of the gospel or salvation where Christ is not the Lord of your life, then you don't understand the gospel because he is Savior and Lord. And there's no idea in the Bible that you can come to faith in Christ and you can get a ticket punch and him not be the Lord of your life. If you think that you can come to faith in Christ and continue to live in rebellion and sin, then you need to, uh, you need to go back and reevaluate your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So what is the fundamental element of this proclamation that must take place? He tells us in verse 17. This proclamation is not just any proclamation. It is the proclamation of the words of Christ. Now, it depends on your translation. If you have the King James or the New King James, you're probably going to see the words of God, right? In those passages, whereas in more of the, most of the modern translation is going to have the words of God. Christ. Now, don't let that bother you. The distinction is that, and again, we don't have time to do a lot of textual criticism this morning, but the distinction is that the King James and the New King James are based primarily on what most people used to say, the language is changing, but the Byzantine text types, uh, the Textus Receptus is uh, the primary um, underlying text, Greek text for the King James. And they have in them that word rhema theu instead of rhema Christu. And so uh, the words of God instead of the words of Christ. But the more early translation or the more early manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts, starting with P46, I believe it is, the more early ones and the more frequent ones have the words of Christ. But let me suggest this to you. Isn't Christ the second person of the Trinity? Isn't Christ God in the flesh? So wouldn't it be that the words of God would be the words of Christ? So don't let that bother you, okay? The point is that Paul is making the words that God is proclaiming to us are the words about Christ. And in this text, it says to us that this proclamation are the words about Christ. And it says through, dia, dia is the preposition there, through Christ. But it, it's probably an objective genitive. I know you're blessed by that. Uh, but Jesus is the object of this phrase. So the phrase literally is saying that he is proclaiming words about 
Christ, okay? And what are the words about Christ? They are the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does the gospel entail? That's the thing that you and I have to come to understand. And the validation to this point that these are, in fact, words about Christ and the gospel of Christ, I think, comes from the quote that we find in this passage. In verse 16, uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah 53. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that Isaiah 53 is one of the servant songs of Isaiah, which speak about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53. And so what is Paul telling us when he quotes from Isaiah 53? These are words about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. His propitiatory work for you and me as it relates to redemption. So we must proclaim these words about Christ. What are these words about Christ? These words about Christ include at least three aspects that we have to understand. One, we've got to have a right anthropology. We've got to have a right anthropology. We need to know rightly about us. In our society today, we don't understand us rightly because we think we are all good, right? When the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we are not all good, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And Paul tells us earlier in Romans chapter 3, none of us understand, none of us seek after God. All of us have turned our own way. We are depraved, wretched, sinful rebels. And we deserve God's wrath. Then we have to have a right anthropology. I mean a right theology. The right theology is that God is good and holy and just. And because God is good and holy and just, he must punish sin. And that's a problem for us because we are sinners and God must punish us. See, God doesn't punish an abstract idea of sinfulness. God punishes sinners, right? Who are in hell. It's not the abstract idea of sin that is in hell. It is sinners who are in hell. So God punishes. He must punish sinners. That's why Proverbs 17 says, hey, it is an abomination for someone to call the unjust just and vice versa. And so that poses a problem to God. How can he just arbitrarily call a person who is a sinner just? That's what Paul deals with again in Romans chapter 3, which leads to the third aspect that you and I must understand about the gospel. The reason we need Jesus Christ is because we are sinners who deserve God's wrath. And God, because of his holy righteous character, is obligated to give us what we deserve. That's where Christ comes in in Romans chapter 3. A little bit later on, Jesus is set forth as the propitiation for our sin. Jesus appeases God's wrath on behalf of sin, and he covers over the guilt of sin with his blood. Jesus stood in our law place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how God can be both just in that he dealt with sin 
and the justifier and that he can forgive us for sin whenever we hear and believe and call on the name of the Lord. When we accept what Christ did and what his substitutionary atonement meant, if we accept that as God's truth about redemption, and we accept, accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we can become the righteousness of God. He can impute the righteousness of Christ to our behalf. That's the message we've got to share with the world today. They need to know why it is that they need a Savior because they are destined for hell because they are dirty, rotten, rebellious sinners just like you and I were. And it's only because of what God has done in Christ on our behalf that we can find ourselves reconciled with God in Christ Jesus. And that leads to the third part. Someone give me the time. I can't see the clock later. The third part, the Israel, uh, the Israelites' rejection to God's preaching or to gospel preaching. What time is it? 1130 something? Okay, 1121. All right, very quickly. Verse 18, here's what Paul does. Again, he raises some questions because the point he's driving at, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, verse 13, will be saved. The problem is not that the message hadn't gone out. The problem is these Israelites have rejected the message that has gone out, okay? And he's gonna, he's gonna continue this argument in chapter 11 when we go through chapter 11 and continue to raise this idea for us that there's a way for these Israelites who are rejecting him right now to come back if they will but call upon the name of the Lord. So in verse 18, he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Remember, how does faith come? It comes by hearing. So it's an obvious question. If these Israelites are rejecting, is the problem that they have not heard? Well, the problem, no. It's not the problem that they have not heard. Listen, indeed they have. And then he quotes for us from Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, he says, Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. So the charge is, have they not heard? Have the Israelites not heard the truth? Is that the problem? Is that why they're rejecting? Paul says, no. Listen to what the psalmist says. God has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, quite literally, <clears throat> in the Septuagint, it's uh, oikumene, which oikos is house or home. So the, the idea is the inhabited world. Through all the inhabited world, God has made himself known. Now we know from Wednesday night to Psalm 19, the first part has to do with general revelation, creation. God in creation has made himself known. Well, we also know that it's not through general revelation that people can ultimately come to a saving uh, relationship with Almighty God. It has to be through specific revelation. That's what Paul's been driving at in this text today, isn't it? In, in this text, he says they must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to come to faith. Well, the saving grace for this is Paul knows the whole psalm. 
Well, the, uh, starting in verse 7 in Psalm 19, it talks about special or specific revelation. It talks about the laws of God, the precepts of God, the commands of God. So God has made himself known in two ways, Paul is saying. Throughout creation, men know that there's a God, and God has made himself known in specific or special revelation through his word, through the prophets, through his son, ultimately in these last days as the author of author of Hebrews uh, says to us in chapter one. Now, I know that raises the question, at least if you're a thinking person, it, it ought to have popped in your mind, or at some point it will pop in your mind. What about those people that we see around the world that have not heard the gospel? They used to call it in evangelistic circles, the 1040 window. They call it something else now. I don't know the terminology, but what about that latitude and longitude of that small portion of the earth where people have not heard the gospel? Now, one, that's presumptuous on our part, right? Is it not that we think that there's a place in the world that God has not been working at all? All we have to do is look at the Old Testament because that's always our question. What about, what about this, this foreign, you know, pagan person out in the middle of the woods, you know, and they got a stick or a stone and that's what they're worshiping and they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. What about that person? Well, how presumptuous of us to think that God has not uh, reached out to that person in some way, Right? All I got to do is look at what happened in the Old Testament. You remember that the story that comes to my mind all the time is Abraham. When Abraham had to go, res- uh, had to go rescue Lot, right? Lot, Lot got carried off and Abraham took all of his servants and uh, they went out and whooped three kings and they brought Lot back. And then on the way back, he encountered two individuals and one of those individuals was Melchizedek. And the Bible says that he was the priest of the most high God. Now, wait a minute. How can that be? Because God had not mentioned Melchizedek at all. His plan was through Abraham, right? We met Abraham first. God called him and says, out of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless the world and nations. Well, what was God doing simultaneously to Abraham? Apparently, he was working with the king of Salem because he was the priest of the most high God. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews used him as an example of the priesthood of Jesus Christ as well. So who are we to say that God has not worked in some way? God has already told us and he's going to continue to tell us that he has, he has made himself known to the world. That's not the problem. The problem is not that God has not made himself known. And that's what Paul is driving at in this passage. You can take that excuse off of the table. But here's the more important point. You need to worry about yourself in this context, in this moment, because you have heard the truth. You live in a place where the truth is proclaimed on a regular basis, and you are here responsible for what you have heard. You're not responsible for what somebody hasn't heard. You're responsible for what you have heard. God is responsible for what a person across the world has heard or not has heard, right? or has not heard. So keep that in our minds. God is saying it's not because they hadn't heard. That's not the problem. Then he goes on. Maybe they heard, but they didn't understand. Look what he says in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And then he quotes again from Deuteronomy, the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, Moses. First, Moses says, 
I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. We'll see some of that again in chapter 11. Then he quotes Isaiah, and he quotes two verses in Isaiah, 65 verses 1 and 2. Then he says, uh, Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And then listen to the second. This is the clincher right here. One, he's saying, God has made himself known in such a way that even the Gentiles, Paul's already said this, he's just saying it again. Even the Gentiles who were not seeking him, God has made him known in such, himself known in such a way that the Gentiles found him and they weren't even looking for him. So it's not a problem that they haven't heard and it's not a problem they hadn't understand because, understood because the Gentiles who didn't have the law, who didn't have the commands, who didn't have the precept came to this conclusion that they could find righteousness by faith, through Christ, in God. And then look what he says about Israel, verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands. Continually, without ceasing, before the nation of Israel, God has held out his hand of redemption by faith. But what's the problem? Look at the rest of the verse. He held his hands out to a disobedient and contrary people. So that's the point that Paul is driving at. You remember he started off this section, is, has God's word failed? Because Israel is not believing the Messiah. And he comes to this conclusion in this chapter. No, the problem is not with God. The problem is with Israel because they have heard and they have understood, but they have disobeyed and been rebellious and obstinate. So that leads to the question set before us today. You know, the, the, the big thing is Steve Lawson always says his preaching professor used to, have a sign whenever they got through preaching in class or in the middle of their message, he'd sit in the back of the room and he'd have a sign and he'd raise that sign up and it will say, so what? Well, here's the so what for you today. If you're a lost person in this room today, here's what you need to understand. You may say, well, there's only like 25 people in here and all of them surely are Christian." But you and I would be crazy to think that even amongst these 25 people, even ones who may be faithful to the church, it is presumptuous upon us to presume that they are truly believers. I can see evidence and I can see fruit, right? And that, ought, that validates for us. But I would be crazy to think that everybody under the sound of my voice has it right. Because I can't see in your heart. And my job is to share the truth with you. And today, you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Today, the truth has been set before you. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to call upon the name of the Lord if you're lost? Or are you going to continue to be like Israel and reject the truth that you've heard? If you do not obey the gospel, the wrath of God, John says in 336, 
remains on you right now. You're one heartbeat away from hell. Secondly, what about a believer? What's the so what for a believer? The so what for a believer is this, that God has called us, God has given us authority to be about sharing the truth of the gospel. And you and I need to understand Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words about Christ. That's our responsibility. That's our job. That's what God has called us to do. He has not called us to save one person, but he has called us to proclaim the message by which he will save his people. Are we being faithful to that? And I'm not talking about just a missionary going around the world. We need those kinds of people. But you guys have heard me say this before. I'm talking about grassroots Christianity. When you go back home today, if there's someone in your life that comes to your mind that needs to hear the gospel, will you make it a point when you have opportunity to share that with them? When you go to work, right? Will you talk to that co-worker? Yes, it may be uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, it's, it's a whole lot better for you if you're just a little bit uncomfortable here on earth than for them to spend an eternity in hellfire. Are we going to be the people that God has called us to be? And in our everyday life, just like Paul in Acts chapter 17, we share the gospel with whoever happens to come by. That's what God's asked us to do. And that's all he's asked us to do in that sense. He will take care of the rest if we will be obedient to that task. That is part of the means that God has ordained to bring people to faith, is our sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we faithful in doing that? Father, we come to you today, and again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, Lord, that you have saw fit to reveal yourself to us and to this world, and that you have done that not only through your written word, but you yourself stepped out of heaven and stepped into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, went to a cross, stood in our law place, dealt with sin on our behalf, dealt with our guilt, suffered our wrath so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, those who are in this room who may not have that settled in our life, I pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself today. And those of us who are believers, and we know without, without a shadow of a doubt that if we died, we'd go to heaven to be with you. Help us to be faithful. Give us the courage and the boldness to constantly share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. You have your way with us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.